Let's open up to the New Testament book of Titus together. And it's really good to be with you, even if it's through a screen like this, as we continue to walk through Bible 2020. And we find ourselves in what are called the pastoral epistles written by the Apostle Paul to 1 Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, and now uh, another protege of his, a young disciple, a young leader uh, named Titus. I want to give you a little bit of the context of this letter and then where we're going with it over the past few weeks as we've been walking through the epistles. We uh, were in Romans and 2 Corinthians a few weeks ago. Uh, one thing that stood out over and over is that the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is transformational to those who believe. And again, we've seen that. It transforms our relationship to everything. It transforms our relationship to sin. We're dead to sin. It's transformed our relationship to money and possessions. Uh, it's transformed our relationship to one another and how we interact with others. And Titus is really going to continue that idea uh, as Paul talks about the impact of the grace of God in our lives, in the manner of our lives, and also the message of our lives is transformed by the gospel, the grace of God. So Paul writes to Titus, and Titus has a tough job. He's on the island of Crete, and Paul has appointed Titus to uh, recognize and appoint elders to lead the churches there on the island of Crete. We see in Titus chapter 1 the high calling of leadership and the high calling of elders. Uh, we hear a little bit about the situation in Titus's day and some of the challenges that were going on in culture and even some of the challenges that were going on in the churches. And we see some of those, for example, in Titus 1.10, Paul said, uh, you're surrounded by empty words. Uh, he says, there are many rebellious men and empty talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision. So Paul's surrounded by empty talkers, or Titus is surrounded by empty talkers. He says you're also surrounded by those with empty lives, empty hypocritical lives. He says, verse 16, uh, many or they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Uh, so around Titus is empty talkers and those with empty lives. And contrasting all of that, then Paul begins to describe the lives of those who have been transformed by the gospel. Uh, his call in 2.1 is particularly to Titus, but really to all believers, that we are to speak truth. He says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So our lives, transform lives, we speak truth. He also says we are to live out truth. He speaks in chapter 2 to the older men and the younger men and the older women and the younger women and how their manner of life is to be drastically different because of the gospel. Uh, he says, in all things, show yourself an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, verse 10, so that he also speak, speaks of adorning the gospel. Our lives were to wear the truth. Not only speak the truth, we're to wear the truth. Our lives are to be adorned with the gospel. And then he gives the basis of how all of that is possible. How is a transformed life possible? Well, he answers that in verse 11. And those are the few verses we're going to look at together quickly, uh, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2. So how is this transformed life possible? Again, he says, For the grace of God 
has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. And grace there again is not some mystical, magical power. Grace is really a, a summary word to encapsulate all of God's unmerited favor and redemptive activity towards sinful mankind. Grace is a summary of all of God's unmerited redemptive activity towards sinful mankind. So he says this grace has appeared. The word appeared means to become fully known. It has become visible. And here in this context, Paul is speaking to Titus that the grace of God has become fully visible and he's talking about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the clearest, uh, fullest expression of God's grace is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come. The grace of God has been revealed. And what has been the impact of that? Well, it goes on and he says, this grace of God that has appeared is bringing salvation to all men. Now, this is not a universal salvation for every person who's ever lived, but instead, he speaks of the atonement that has been accomplished that is necessary to redeem those who believe. So he's speaking of a people, a community of followers of Jesus who have been redeemed, who will continue then to make the grace of God visible. Christ has come, making the grace of God visible. Then those who have been redeemed, our lives and our message, continue to make the grace of God visible. This grace continues to instruct us, verse 12. The word instruct means to teach, to train. The same grace that saved us is teaching us, is training us, is equipping us. We're growing. What does that look like? Is instructing us, verse 12, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from, from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people. I love that. A people for himself, for his own possession, who are zealous for good deeds. So I want to give you a big truth and then a couple thoughts that come out of this. The big truth is this. Grace is present in this age. Paul says the grace of God has appeared. It appeared in a person, the Lord Jesus, and the grace of God continues to be on display now in a people, us. What does that look like? Well, it looks like that in the lives of his people. He says three things here. He says the grace of God empowers, instructs, teaches us. Number one, by grace, we deny some things. We deny some things. He says the grace of God is instructing us to deny. The word deny means to renounce or to show public estrangement from something. It means to make a clean break. To deny something means you have made a clean break from it. Paul says the grace of God instructs us, empowers us, that we have made a clean break from ungodliness and worldly desires. Meaning, the idea of ungodliness is simply any wrong or distorted view of God. That's not us anymore. We don't hold on to wrong views of who God is. The grace of God has transformed our view from a rebel to now a worshiper. We deny worldly desires. Meaning, part of our transformation is we don't live according to the impulses of our fleshly, selfish, worldly desires anymore. We've made a clean break from that. 
And the grace of God continues to instruct us and grow us in that. So there's some things we deny. He says, secondly, by grace we live. By grace we live. The manner of our life is different. What we pursue, what characterizes the patterns of our life, the direction and patterns of our very lives. He says, we live. He gives three words, sensibly, righteously, and godly now in this present age. Sensibly is the idea of self-control. It's the idea of a, uh, a rightly ordered mind, a rightly ordered life, rightly ordered thinking. Again, it's that idea of self-control, which is exactly opposite and juxtaposed to being controlled by selfish fleshly desires. In other words, we don't live by the whims of our flesh. We don't live by the whims of whatever impulse used to drive us. Now we live sensibly self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit of God living within us. Secondly, he says we live righteously, rightly. We live according to the Word of God. Particularly, this word has to do with the relationship with others. So we live in a right relationship with others. And then he says we live godly. Well, that refers to our relationship with God himself. So these three words here talks about our relationship with ourself, meaning how we lead our own lives in a sensible, well-ordered way how we relate to others in a righteous way, and that we live godly, how we relate to God himself. So the grace of God's transformed us. Some things we've made a clean break with, we deny. Our lives are now characterized by other things. And then he says, and by grace we are now looking for, or we look for. Verse 13 is incredible. He says we are looking. Our eyes are fixed. The focus of our hope is the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So the grace of God transforms our focus, our perspective. The grace of God in our lives is our ultimate hope. Uh, hope here is the idea of not wishful thinking or a maybe. Anytime you see the word hope in Scripture, it's an absolute certainty, just not yet revealed. So the certainty that we fix our hope in is the soon imminent, absolute return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is going to make all things new, that he is going to bring justice on the earth one day. He is going to make us like him. He is going to uh, allow us to reign with him forever and ever and ever. He is our hope. Anything less is a, uh, a weaker hope uh, that's not worthy of our lives. But the Lord Jesus and his return is on what we fix our hope. We are, we are fixing our lives uh, oriented to his return. And then verse 14, he says, And this Jesus is the one who gave himself to redeem us. It's gospel language here. Uh, from every lawless deed, he's redeemed us from something. To purify us for himself, he's redeemed us for something, for himself. And he's redeemed us as his own possession unto uh, zealous and being zealous for good deeds, a life that looks different and is transformed by the power of the gospel. So in this we see our big truth lived out. There is grace that is present in this age. This grace first was made ev evident uh, in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, a person, but now is evident in the manner of lives of his people. But not only the manner of our lives, we see the grace of God on display also by the very message of our lives as well. So we see the grace of God has transformed the very manner of the way we live our lives, but also the message 
uh, on, the li- on our lips that comes from our lives. And Pastor Daniel is going to walk us through that part in Titus 2. Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul says, speak these things, and he says, exhort. In other words, encourage. Uh, It's the idea to challenge, command. And he says, and reprove, rebuke, correct with all authority and let no one disregard you. Today, now, like right now, in whatever's going on in your life and your world, in this present age, the grace of God is made known through the voice of the Jesus follower. If you're in Christ, the grace of God on display in this present age travels through your voice from your lips. And as a result, there are implications. Implications for you and I as Jesus followers. First, by grace we speak. We speak. Paul says, these things speak. Speak these things. The grace of the gospel made known to us through Jesus in this present age commissions us to speak. Now, as a Jesus follower, I want you to understand why you're so compelled. I just want to remind you. I want you to capture it for just a moment. As a Jesus follower, you have seen a merciful gift beyond what you can comprehend beyond what you can even fathom in the grace of God. You've seen it. You've experienced it. See, as a Jesus follower, you have seen a merciful gift on display in some of the hardest seasons of your life. You look forward in hope. You rested in peace that surpasses your circumstances, that surpasses loss and suffering and despair. You've buried spouses and children, grandparents and friends. You've suffered tremendous shame and abuse and hate. You've been scared and poor. And you've been lacking and insecure and inadequate. And from these places of hardship, no matter what life was throwing at you, in those seasons, you held tight to a gift beyond yourself. And in that gift, in that grace, was revealed to you hope, joy, life, peace, purpose, and love. And so we get grace is present in Jesus. And you've experienced it. 
it has been made known to you and you know it to a degree in which it's played its part in your life and you found rest in it. And so now make it known. Share it. Speak it to your family, your friends, our country and the world. They need it. It is the gift of grace that changes your life. We are compelled to speak it. And if we are to speak it, how shall we speak it? How do we say it? What, what do we do and what does that begin to look like? And second, we see that by grace, we encourage and rebuke. Paul says, exhort and reprove. We speak boldly, boldly, with authority beyond ourselves. See, first he says, again, to exhort or to encourage one another to live according to this revealed truth, to, or, uh, to the grace of God on display in Christ Jesus. But that, that it's, it's, I don't know why. The ESV, for example, NASB, they, they translate this exhort. It's the only time in the scripture that that word is not translated command or commandment. It, 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 it's a uh, strong charge. So understand that that statement isn't just like you put your arm around him, you just kind of pat him, I hope you get it. It's so much more than that. It's a bold charge. It is not suggest. It's not a suggestion. It's not a passive advice that you're offering someone. It is the proclamation of truth that changes everything in their life. And then he says, second, rebuke, correct one another when they don't, when they don't line up. And watch, both of these things are necessary in bold proclamation. As one walks in and toward the grace of of the gospel, we encourage, we challenge, we spur them on. And as one walks outside of and away from the grace of the gospel, we rebuke and correct, admonish. In our flesh, we tend to reject such confrontation. It's hard for us. We reject such assertiveness. Uh, we. We sinfully call it arrogance so many times when we receive it or we hear it. And we ask, what, what, you know, who do they think they are to speak this way? Why do they ask that? Why does it bug us? Why does it hit us that way? It's because to speak this way, to speak with such boldness, is to speak with authority. And culturally, we struggle with authority. We, we so often misplace authority. But here, Paul says to speak, to charge, to correct, with all authority. So church, listen, do not let your pride convince you that it isn't your place to speak and to speak boldly. It is your place. Not because you have any form of personal power or personal authority. Not because it's built into your ability to rationalize or to do something or it's not built into you know, your past experience. No, that's not where the authority comes from. 
all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, in him we go. We go, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Notice the observe part. Again, not just a suggestion, calling them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. Why do we do this? Because by grace, we represent. We represent. Paul says, let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. The idea is there is no one outside of the implications of God's word. There's no one outside of the implications of the message of the gospel. We hold everyone to truth. Literally, that, that statement, let no one disregard you, if you just kind of go word for word, it literally comes across like, let no one think around you. Let no one think above you. The, the literal translation implies a mental uh, preparation. Uh, it's very similar to what you see when Paul writes to the other pastor that he speaks so much of in Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Be diligent or study to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. He goes on in chapter 4, verse 2, and he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort and complete with patience and teaching. See, here's the point. By grace, we know. By grace, we know that we might make known the gospel of Jesus and let no one escape. Let no one escape what has been made known to you, the grace of God on display in this present age, may no one escape your presence and not know. See, we are ambassadors. We represent. We represent the grace of God in this present age. In the midst of everything that's going on, in the midst of all the suffering, we represent the gift of God to the world. We proclaim that Jesus has brought salvation to the world. When questioned why I confront the loss with the gospel, Spurgeon responded and he said this, No man under heaven shall be able to say that we knew that he was believing a lie and yet did not tell him that it is a lie. Not our business to interfere with others. We were sent here on purpose to interfere. If Christ's ambassador sees others attempting to keep up the war between his king and the rebellious subjects in his kingdom, it is his business to speak sternly of those enemies of God and the man. 
and to plead with all his soul with them to be at peace with his great King and Lord. So as ambassadors of Christ, we have royal business, important business. See, grace is present in this age. Jesus has brought salvation to all men. Now you carry that message on your lips. Go, proclaim it boldly, and let no one escape.